Well, good afternoon, Grace Church Broccoli. How are you all this this rainy after afternoon? So good that you all could make it out. Let me add my welcome to Kobe's. <clears throat> um, we are going to be starting a, a new series in perseverance, talking about perseverance. Um, but before we hop into our sermon, let me pray for us. Father, we just come before you and we just say thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would speak now by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Do these things for the glory of your son, Jesus name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 19. And that's page, you can find that on page 360 in your church Bibles. And it reads, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenants and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out 
stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. and Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. In whose mouth has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, in 2011, I was running the Chicago Marathon. And this was my second marathon. And it was in my city. And I was excited. I mean, I had my friends and my family And they all had come out to cheer me on. And I felt like this is going to be a good day. But it was at the 23-mile marker that I started to feel exhausted. Felt like I had emptied the tank. Felt like I had nothing left. Then... That's when I hear this beautiful, angelic voice coming up from behind me saying, how's it going, babe? And it's my wife. There she was in her running gear with her running shoes on, and she jumps in the race to run alongside of me. And even now, when I think about that, I kind of get chills, and it kind of brings tears to my eyes. Because it was at my lowest point in the race, my wife jumps in to encourage me. She helped me to find my second win. And it's that second win that, look, we often need to help us to persevere and to keep running when the race that's been set before us gets a little bit too hard. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be in a sermon series entitled Second Wind, Lessons in Perseverance. And today we're going to be looking at how God helped Elijah, how God came alongside of Elijah to help him persevere through what we, what we see, or what we'll see in this text, despair. And we'll see how God will also help us to get through our seasons of despair. Well, first, well, who was Elijah? Well, Elijah is what many would call today a sort of towering figure of courage. Elijah is what many would call a bulwark of the faith. He's a man whose name means Yahweh is my God. And we don't know much about Elijah, but what we do know is that God 
plucked this young man from relative obscurity. He's a prophet from a small town of Tishbite, which is in the northern hills of Gilead, Gilead, which no one very rarely heard about. Like, who was the Tishbites? But God saw this young man, and he called him to be a prophet to the northern tribe of Israel. Now, the northern tribe of Israel during this time was in a spiritual and moral crisis. Ahab and Jezebel were the reigning monarchs during this time. And it's been said that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And not only did he consider it trivial to do these evil things and to commit these evil things, but he married a woman by the name of Jezebel who was just as wicked, and she introduced the practice of Baal worship to Israel. And then as a way of establishing Baal worship in Israel, she decides to go on a campaign and to slaughter all of the Lord's prophets. And it's in this spiritual milu, it's in this environment that God raises up Elijah. And he sends him to prophesy. And in our chapter, Elijah has just returned from Mount Carmel. There he has been by himself with the help of God. He's challenged all of the false prophets of Baal, 850 in total. And he challenged them to offer a sacrifice to see if their God will consume their offer or their sacrifice by fire. And we read that this went on all day and nothing happened. And then Elijah prepares his burnt offering and sacrifices. And then he drenches it with water so that way no one in Israel can have any doubt that the miracle that was about to happen was from God. And Elijah prays. Now, we don't know much about Elijah other than what his name means and what his tribe he's from. But the other thing we know about Elijah is that Elijah prays. Elijah is a praying man. Elijah has that kind of confidence in God. So he prayed that fire would come down and consume the sacrifice. And God answered And it was in that moment, the nation of Israel saw what the Lord had done. And they began to cry out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And as a response to the people's repentance, we read that Elijah prays again and he goes up on the mountain and he prays that God would stop the drought, which was a sign of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. And he says, okay, God, these people have repented. Bring this drought to an end. And that's exactly what God did. It started to rain. So here is, yeah, it's raining now. (laughs) So here is Elijah, plucked out of obscurity, called to do this work for God, speaks truth to power, leads a revival, Sin prays for rain and it rains. 
He's on a spiritual mountaintop. Everything seems to be going well for him. But what we're about to read in this chapter is that he is about to enter into the valley of the shadow of death. So what I want us to look at is, well, how does a man like this end up in a place of despair? A man with relative success in ministry, a man with confidence and power with God. How does he end up in a place of despair? And then finally, how does God help him through it? How does God give him his second wind? So here are two things I want us to look at. I want us to see one, Elijah's discouragement, verses one through seven. And then finally, I want us to see Elijah's encouragement, verses eight to 18. So in these first few verses of chapter 19, we read that after this confrontation that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal in chapter 18, Ahab, he runs home and he tells his wife Jezebel everything that has just transpired. and She doesn't like it. She's cross. So she decides she wants Elijah dead. So she sends him this threatening letter in verse 2 or message in verse 2 saying, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, like one of my prophets that you killed. And Elijah receives this message and he runs I mean, this towering figure of courage, this bulwark of faith, this epitome of bravery and confidence, he runs for his life. And he doesn't just run a marathon. I mean, this brother runs an ultra marathon with no training. I mean, he ran all the way from Mount Carmel, which was the most northern part of Israel, to Berts Beersheba, which is the southernmost part of Judah. That was about 150 miles away. He runs because he's afraid. But his fear is just half the story. There's more going on under the surface. Elijah is also emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted, as we'll see later. I mean, the pressures of ministry and everything he's had to endure from chapter 17 to chapter 19, it's all catching up to him. So not only is he tired, but he's discouraged. I mean, imagine seeing God doing the miraculous And it not having the results that you intended. I mean, he probably assumed that after this victory at Carmel, that Ahab and Jezebel would have fallen prostrate down on the ground before Yahweh and repented. And that they would have been on board with helping to restore Israel's confidence in God. Or perhaps he thought that both Jezebel and Ahab, that if they didn't repent, would have been at least overthrown and their wicked reign of terror would have come to an end. But neither of those things happened. 
Elijah is discouraged because he didn't get the results that he wanted. So he's running. And he's in this place of despair. But here are some things, three things I want us to see about Elijah in this place of despair and discouragement that he's in. One, we notice that he's isolated. I mean, did you notice that he started out running with his servant in verse 3, but when he came to Beersheba, he left his servant there all by himself. Verse 4, as he went a day's journey into the wilderness. I mean, Elijah's at a point where he's, I mean, he just doesn't want community anymore. He doesn't want people around him. And here is something that we need to be aware of in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters here at GCB. There is always a real danger when we're feeling depressed or discouraged or in despair to stop engaging with people, to stop coming to church, to stop showing up to fellowship groups. We'll start pushing people away. I've seen it happen. And I've also experienced that. Because we just want to be alone. I mean, Elijah just wants to be left alone because he's wanting to go to a place that he's not willing to take other people with him into. Elijah wants the wilderness. He wants to go into this place which is symbolic of suffering and distress and even death. That's where he wants to be. He's like, I don't need you guys to come with me. This is where I'm going because this is where I feel like I ought to be. So he isolates himself. And then notice verse four, he's confused. I mean, the stress and the isolation has caused him to become contradictory in his thinking. So on the one hand, he's running for his life. But then he asks God to take his life. Did you see that? He's not thinking realistically or clear or clearly. He's allowing his circumstances, the circumstances of his life to cloud his judgment. And if he had been thinking clearly, his self-talk would have been more like David in Psalm 42. When he said, wait, 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 what am I doing here? Soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. But that's not where he's at. His thinking is confused. And not only would he have reminded himself to put his hope in God, but he would have also reminded himself that, man, look, God is bigger than this. God is in control over my life, not Jezebel. But that's not where he's at. He's confused. He's isolated. And thirdly, we notice that Elijah is tired. I mean, he's physically depleted. From chapter 17 to 18, we read that he had to endure a drought. He had to watch a boy die and then participate in his resurrection. Then he has this spiritual showdown with the prophets of Baal. 
and has them executed, and he's had to live with death threats from the king of Israel. Now he's on the run. He's exhausted. He doesn't seem to have the capacity to take another step forward. And so tired and discouraged, he prays. Just take my life, Lord. For I am no better than my ancestors. And some commentators acknowledge that, man, this is a clear sign of burnout. Elijah is burnt out. He is depressed. He's tired wants to be left alone and he wants his life to end. Can you identify with Elijah with any of these struggles? Are you feeling fearful today, confused, alone, depressed? You know it's been said That mental health and depression is a growing issue within our culture. Westfield Health conducted a research that noted 46% of the UK workers are close to burnout. 46%. The reason being long hours, high expectations, a lack of purpose when going to work. People just aren't happy. Medical News Today noted that members of Generation Z, the group of people born between 1996 and 2013, are a depressed generation. It notes that it's partly because that they are growing up alongside of a culture of increasing violence, sexual harassment, political and economic instability, and climate change. They're seeing all of these issues in the world and feeling quite nihilistic and hopeless that there are any real long-term solutions to the problems. I mean, it doesn't help that we just recently had another prime minister resigning from office. It just seemed to communicate and to confirm that we are out of our debts when it comes to solutions to the problems that we're facing. No wonder people are tired. No wonder people are burned out. No wonder people are discouraged. Jesus said to his disciples, he says that in this world you will have troubles. You will have trials. We will experience things that will knock the wind out of us. We will come up against things that will make us resolve that at mile 23, I'm calling it quits. It's done. I'm just going to finish this last thing and then I'm walking away. We will experience things like that in this life. But what I love about God is that when we hit a wall, He doesn't just leave us there, but He comes to encourage us. He comes to encourage us to keep going. That's what He did to Elijah. And that leads to my second point, Elijah's encouragement. Wow, that rain is intense. I mean, it's it's hard for me to hear myself. I don't know if anyone could 
could uh, could hear me out there. But but my second point, Elijah's encouragement. So we saw that. So we saw what discouraged Elijah, right? And we saw what brought him to a place of being tired and just wanting it all to end. Now let's see how God encourages Elijah to move from a place of despair to a place of hope and perseverance. And the first thing we see in verse 5 is that God allows Elijah to rest. He allows Elijah to rest. Elijah laid down under the verse 5, he laid down under the bush and he went to bed. You know, God didn't just come and wake Elijah up and say, what are you doing here? Get up. We shouldn't be here. No, we read that God let him sleep. You know, sometimes that's just all we need when we're feeling depressed. We just need to go to bed. You know, some of us are trying to get by on four to five hours of sleep a day, not realizing that you have a breaking point. And when things come up and you realize that you don't have the emotional capacity to deal with them, sometimes we just need to allow ourselves to sleep. The most godly thing that you can probably do for yourself and for others is to get some rest. And what we can see from verse 5 is that sleep is a mercy from God. But then secondly, we see that God allowed him to eat. Verse 6, we read that the angel of the Lord, which is Christ in the Old Testament, he wakes him up and he gives him bread to eat, bread that's been baked on hot stones, freshly prepared for him. Reminds me of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament when he showed up on the shores of John chapter 21 after his resurrection. And he sees his disciples out on the water and he's on the shores preparing food for them to eat. And we read these exact words that there were burning coals with fish and some bread. Here we see the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament and he comes down and he prepares a meal for his servant Elijah to eat. And he says, Elijah, the journey is great for you. Eat up. Apparently, Elijah is on his way to Mount Horeb, which is a 40-day journey to seek God. And God is saying to him, you have to eat something or you won't make it. Sometimes when we're struggling with depression, yes, we need to sleep. But also, we need to wake up and eat. So that way we can keep going. You know, the tendency is when you're down and in despair is to close the blinds and go to sleep and say, I don't want to eat nothing. I don't want to do anything. No, but sometimes you just have to wake up. and You have to eat. Because the journey is long and you won't make it if you don't eat anything. In 
essentially Jesus is telling um, Elijah that the journey is not over for you. There is still so much more left for you to do. And so he... And then thirdly, we notice that God allowed him to speak. So God gives him rest. God allows him to eat. And then God allows him to speak. So after being strengthened by the angel of the Lord, we read that he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to meet with God. Which if you know from Exodus 3 is Mount Sinai. It is the very place where Moses had an encounter with God in the burning bush. And it's also the place where God entered into a covenant relationship with his people in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So just as Elijah needed food, rest, he also needed time in God's presence. So once Elijah reached Horeb in verse 8, we read that he finds a cave and he goes back in and he sleeps. Because while he was in the cave, the word of the Lord came to him. And he asks Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing in this dark and lifeless place? And it was this question that gave Elijah the confidence to have an honest conversation with God. But notice how he is only focusing on the negatives. There's the failed expectations in verse 10. Look, I've been zealous for the Lord and, and I've done all of these things for you and people still haven't changed. They have killed your prophets and now they're coming after me and I am the only one left. Translation, I am the only one out here doing your work, oh God. No one else is helping me. Notice how all he can see are the negatives. Because that's what happens when we're in the cave. All we see is the darkness around us. Elijah can only complain about all that is wrong in his life. This brother is struggling with selective memory. He doesn't focus on how God has provided for him all throughout his life. He doesn't focus on how God had demonstrated his power through him, in and through him. He doesn't focus about on what on the revival that is happening in the northern part of Israel. He can only see the negatives. God, because He is a gracious and He is a loving and compassionate God, He doesn't rebuke His servant. But He graciously listens to Him. He allows Him to speak. And then afterwards, He says, Okay, Elijah, it's time for you to get out of your cave now. Verse 11. God directs him to go and stand on the mountain before the presence of the Lord and then to wait for my presence to come by. And we read that there was wind, there was fire, there was earthquake. But the presence of the Lord was in neither of those. 
But when Elijah heard the roar of the fire, the shaking of the earthquake, and the violence of the wind, he wrapped his face in the mantle as if discerning that this is the presence of God. And out of reverence, he covers his face. Just like Moses did when he encountered God. And he goes out and he stands at the entrance of the cave. But do you see what God did? God used the fire, the wind, and the earthquake to draw Elijah both literally and metaphorically out of his cave of self-pity and discouragement and into the light of his presence. And there he spoke to him, not in a thunderous, angry voice, but in a gentle whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? And again, Elijah repeats the same woeful self-pity speech. He's clearly still in the place of despair, but at least he's talking to God. And this is the important thing for us to remember. If you find yourself in a place of despair and discouraging discouragement, just keep talking to God. Keep talking to your heavenly Father. Keep praying. Because God has created this space for us to come boldly into His presence because of Jesus. And we can come boldly into His presence and not find wrath, not find a God who is angry with where we are, but a God who is rich in grace and mercy. He wants us there. He wants us to keep talking to him. So when Elijah stops talking and finally listens, he's discovered what I find to be the most moving part of this entire narrative. He discovers that his discouragement, that neither his discouragement nor depression angers the Lord. And neither does it disqualify him from serving him. Throughout this whole time, God has been incredibly patient with Elijah. Some commentators believe that it took two months for Elijah to get to this place where he can hear the voice of God. God, but God was walking with him the entire time. He was patient with him. God knew what Elijah had to endure. He knew he needed rest. Then he fed him a nutritious meal. Then he brought him into his presence where he can hear his voice and vent his frustrations. See, God gave him rest. God fed him. God brought him into his presence. And he did this to give him his second wind. Because he was saying, Elijah, there's still more work for you to do. And what God is saying to Elijah through this is that he will, I'm sorry, verse 15, God provided Elijah 
we see that God provided Elijah with very specific instructions about his work and about the work he needed to do next. I mean, he commanded the prophet to return to the north and anoint Haziel as king over Aram, verse 15, and then to anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and finally to anoint Elisha as his successor. Jehu and Haziel would exact God's vengeance on Israel's sins. They will be the ones who will ultimately eliminate Baal worship from the northern kingdom of Israel. And through the appointment of Elisha, Elijah is thus assured that his ministry will continue even long after he's gone. And what God is saying to Elijah through all of this is that he will accomplish his purposes and his plans for his people. He may not see the complete abdication of Baal worship in his lifetime, but it will happen. But what God wants Elijah to know is that there are other people that he wants to use to accomplish his work. You see, Elijah was probably under the impression that Mount Carmel should have been the definitive moment. But it wasn't. It wasn't the definitive moment where the nation of Israel and its leaders turned back to God. And it wasn't. And he was disappointed. But God wanted Elijah to know that that's okay. Because you're not the only one that I am using to accomplish my purposes and my plans. Elijah had to be reminded that he was just a piece on the checkerboard of God's plans. But he was not the plan itself. There was others. There was Elisha. Then there were the 7,000 in Israel who did not bow their knee to Baal. So Elijah, you're not alone. You don't have to carry all this weight and responsibility thinking that you're the only one that's doing my work. You're not. But I am still with you. And I will help you. And I will get you through this journey so that I can finish the work that I have begun in you. So look, from this story, how do we see God helps us persevere through despair? One, we need to rest. You know, life is hard. But we need to be able to see sleep. We need to be able to see rest as a mercy from God. Stop going so hard. Relax. Sleep. After this service, go to bed. Don't go to bed now. But go to bed. And then two, wake up from your rest. And then eat. God provided Elijah with a healthy, sustaining meal as he prepared him for the next stage of his journey. We have to be both physically and spiritually prepared to continue to do the work that God has called us to do. And then thirdly, 
We need to spend time in God's presence, pouring out our heart to Him. He's created that space for us. And then we need to be still in the presence of God long enough to be able to hear His still, small voice wooing us out of our caves of depression. And then finally, just got to keep running. Just got to keep running the race that God has called us to run. Get back into ministry. Pick up the mantle that you have laid down. Continue the work that God has called. Continue to live this Christian life as God intended for you to do. And walk away with a biblical perspective and a larger view of God's plan for your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for what you've taught Elijah and what you're teaching us through this. God, help us to be people who learn to pour out our hearts in the presence of God. Help us to be people that keep praying despite the difficulties that we might face. To do the things that you've done to Elijah, to to eat well, God, to rest, and to spend time in your presence so that we can find our second wind to keep going and to run the race as you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.